0: So, as we turn our attention to God's word today, a reminder that we're studying Colossians, and you probably know that. But when we're studying a letter, one thing that's hard is to keep the flow of the letter in front of us. You know, so what, what can happen is we can hear a message one week, and then the next week it's two new verses, and we kind of lose where we were and how it's building and how the letter is all connected. And so uh, just for a moment, I wanna remind us where we've been. If you go back to the beginning of Colossians 1, Paul has given us or given the Colossians a greeting, sort of a typical letter greeting from Paul. And then he's given thanks and prayed for them. He's told them about the preeminence of Christ, that amazing section starting around chapter one, verse 15. And then he's told them about his sufferings. He's shared some of his story and how he suffered for Christ. And then in that, he shared how much he longs for them as believers to grow up in Christ. We hear his heart for them. So we've heard a lot, we've seen a lot, but what have we not heard? If you've been listening and and you're a guy, you've probably, you maybe noticed, he hasn't given us a single command. So today in Colossians 2, verse six, we get the first command of this letter. And just as we start, I wanna ask, why would Paul wait 35 verses to give his readers something to do. And the answer is what some people have called the grammar of the gospel. The grammar of the gospel is a way of talking about how things work in the Christian life, the order of how things work. And in school you learn a grammar and you learn different tenses and moods and subjects and verbs. But the the grammar of the gospel, one way to say it is that the indicative comes before the imperative. The indicative, what, what God has done, who he is, the imperative, what he commands us to do. And so what God has done, the indicative, comes before what he commands us to do. Or simply you could say, belief comes before behavior. And we see this in books like Romans where so much of it is indicative. And then finally around chapter 12, (laughs) Paul gives us something to do. Or in Ephesians, where half is indicative and half is imperative, basically. But we see this throughout scripture. And, and Paul, what he does is he spends a long time telling us about God and who he is and what he's done. And he spends a long time telling us who we are and what we've done apart from Christ. Because Paul knows that life doesn't go well when we mess up the grammar of the gospel. So as men, we're so often doers We wanna be productive, and Paul is basically telling us, even in the structure of his letter, men, you can't do anything to please God (laughs) until you understand what he has done for you first. So brothers, I know it's early, but do we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Have we received Jesus? He wants us today, he wants to teach us today how to live in him. But it always starts with how he lived and died and rose again for us. So our passage today is in Colossians 2. You have it on the handout. It's only two verses, and we're still waking up, so I'm actually gonna read it twice. It will still be shorter than the other sections we've had. Listen to Colossians 2, verses 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. One more time. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray for us as we dive into God's word. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for what Paul has written by the inspiration of the Spirit. We pray this morning that by the same spirit you would teach us your word, that you would show us all that we've received in Christ and what that means for our walk in him. And Lord, for those who are still wondering about what it means to know Christ, I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning. Lord, bless our time and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can see the turning point here when Paul starts his sentence with therefore in verse six. It's as if he's saying, everything I've written so far, now we're going to turn the corner. I'm going to tell you what to do with that. And so therefore is an important word, and he immediately talks about as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. This idea of receiving is prominent in Paul's letters, and really in his mind, it starts for Paul with the gospel that he preaches and teaches, because in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes... For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul says that he received the gospel from Jesus himself. He didn't make it up. And Paul's hearers, therefore, received the gospel from Paul, the Lord's apostle. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So Paul received the gospel, he preached it to them, and they received the gospel. So, what does it mean to receive Christ Jesus the Lord? It means to receive the essential teachings of the Christian faith, the truths of the gospel. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15.3, if you keep reading where I just was, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Again, that receiving language. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, then to the 12. And he goes on to talk about more appearances, but that's what he says. This is what I receive, this is what you receive, these essential truths about Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. And so when we receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, we receive the biblical teaching about him. If you just think about what Paul Goebel talked about a couple weeks ago when he was in Colossians 1, What did we learn about Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the reconciler and redeemer. If that's all we had, that would be a lot to receive and believe. So the Bible makes it clear in that passage and others that Jesus is the Lord, the Christ. There is no one like him and we need to embrace and receive this teaching about Jesus. There's an intellectual dimension to the Christian faith. Understanding Christian doctrine is really important and Paul talks about it all the time. Do we believe that Jesus is the Lord? But there's more to it than that. There's a personal dimension too. We need to embrace and receive Jesus Christ himself. That's why the Bible's always talking about knowing God. It's it's the language of relationship, of intimacy. We heard this when David Williams was talking a few weeks ago about Paul's prayer and how he prays that we would know him. And David Williams was talking about the intimacy that God wants us to experience in prayer and in relationship with him. God doesn't just want us to know about him know things about him. He wants us to actually experientially know him. So do we not just believe that Jesus is the Lord, but he's our Lord. He's my Lord. Do we have a personal relationship with him? Are we united with him by faith? And that's what he offers us, even today. And when Paul says Christ Jesus the Lord, Lord is a very significant word. It's not a throwaway word. There are a lot of people I think, who want to receive Jesus as savior, but not as Lord. They want their sins forgiven, but they don't want a new life. They don't want a new Lord. But we need to remember Jesus is actually savior because he is Lord. He conquered sin and death. He said he had all authority in heaven and earth. So to receive him means to submit to him as the only Lord, but also to trust him as the only savior. A receiving Christ can feel foreign to many of us because we spend our days working and performing and earning. But as sinners, when we're talking about how we relate to God, we can't work or earn or perform in a way that somehow impresses God. So Paul is always talking about receiving. Here are just a few examples. There are many more in Thess- <laughs> First Thessalonians 2.13. Paul talks about how the Thessalonians, when they heard the word of God, they received it as the word of God, not as the word of man, but as it really is, as the word of God, receiving the word. In Romans 5.11, Paul says that through Jesus, we have now received reconciliation. In Romans 8.15, Paul says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we could go on and on and on. But Paul starts with and keeps coming back to this idea of receiving because it shapes the entire Christian life going forward. If you think about it, if we worked for it or we earned it, then going forward we would just continue this sort of self-salvation, self-glorification project. And that would lead us to pride and independence and boasting in ourselves. But Paul actually speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and you guessed it, he does it again with receiving language. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive, he says? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If if salvation is by grace, we have to humble ourselves. All we can do is open the hand of faith and receive God's gift. And so going forward, what we do is we press on in humility and dependence and our boasting is now not in ourselves, but in Christ. When I turned 40, my family surprised me with a really amazing gift. Basically, my wife and my parents and my in-laws came together and they said, we want you to put together the custom guitar of your dreams, which may mean nothing to you, but to James Peel and, and, and me, <laughs> it means a lot. And so they, they pulled their resources and they're like, You know, we know you love this builder, spec it out, have fun, and then enjoy it. So it took a few months to get the guitar, but when it arrived, it looked and sounded amazing. It was this incredible gift, and all I could do really was receive it. And here's what I love about it. You know, every time I pick up that guitar, I'm reminded of the gift. And I'm reminded of the people that gave me the gift. And, And receiving that guitar in that way made it different from the other guitars that I have and it makes me wanna enjoy it all the more. So what amazing gift have you received in your life? And can you see the relationship between receiving the gift and then living in light of it? That's what Paul wants us to see. Our life in Christ is always going to be related to the gift that we've received from him. Healthy people don't receive amazing gifts and then act like nothing ever happened. We receive the gift of a guitar or a job opportunity or an inheritance or perhaps a marriage that you see as such a gift. And we walk a little differently, don't we? We've received that. So shouldn't receiving Christ the Lord change everything? So, If you look at our text again, Paul says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. walk is the first command in Colossians. I mentioned that a minute ago. So Paul gives us this command to walk, and then he adds four participles to describe how we walk in Christ. That's too much grammar this morning. How do we walk in Christ? Rooted, built up, established, abounding. We'll look at each of these in a moment, but first I want to address something. So like I said, you've been waiting 35 verses for Paul to tell you what to do. So my question is, you've waited this long. How do you feel when he just says, all this amazing stuff, and now walk. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the fullness of God. Okay, Paul, that's exciting, what should we do? Walk. You know, you were were living in hostility to God, you were alienated, you were doing evil deeds, and now he's reconciled you. Okay, Paul, that's amazing, so what should I do? Walk. (laughs) And you're like, walk? I wanna run, you know. I wanna take the hill, like, give me something. And if you wanna run, there are verses in the New Testament that will encourage you to run, and that's valid. But Paul doesn't want us to miss the glory of walking in Christ. So why is walking a fitting description of life in Christ? Just think about walking for a minute. Walking is something we learn to do as a baby or a toddler, and we do it for the rest of our lives. We walk every day all day. We wake up in the morning, we pull our feet out of bed, we put our feet on the ground and we start walking. And we walk around all day. And then we walk to our bed and we hop in and we go to sleep. Charles Spurgeon wrote this devotional one time based on this verse and what he does is basically just highlight the implication of this metaphor for the Christian. So I'll give you a few of the words he uses. He says walking implies action. The Christian life is an active life. Jesus calls us to follow him and that means we should live and act as he would. You imagine being filled with the spirit of Christ, what kind of activity should that inspire? Walking also implies progress. The Christian life is this life of growing in conformity to Jesus Christ. We do not stand still. We're transformed by his grace from glory to glory, Paul says in another place. So there is a destination, and we're always moving toward him you might say, we're moving with him too. But this side of heaven, we never arrive, we're always making progress. And as we sang on Sunday, it's kind of stirring him that we're gaining ground. Walking implies progress. Walking also implies continuation, or this continual motion. We're not just walking during this Bible study, we're not just walking on Sunday morning, we're called to walk in him all day, every day. We can't walk with Jesus a few minutes a day or a few hours a week and then, walk in the ways of the world the rest of the time. That's not gonna work well. So walking is a continual abiding in Christ. And then walking, Spurgeon says, implies habit. So of course we stumble, we trip, we fall, we sin, we repent. But the Lord wants our walk to become a habit in the best kind of way. I didn't think about the steps I took to get here this morning. Just happens, like almost involuntary, partially because I was asleep. But by habit, we know how to walk around. And by the grace of God, he wants to form us so it's our habit to walk with Jesus. Not to glorify and enjoy him some of the time, and then forget him the rest of the time or most of the time, but more and more to live in the constant awareness of his presence. That's why Paul prayed in Colossians 1.10 that we would, as he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our walk is active and progressive and continual and habitual. So Spurgeon sums it up and he says, if we've received Christ himself in our inmost hearts, our new life will manifest its intimate acquaintance with him by a walk of faith in him. So how, how do we walk in him? Let's talk about these participles that Paul gives us. We walk in Christ first, rooted in him. This is what you would call a perfect passive participle. It's a handful, but it means something that happened in the past that has ongoing effects in the present. So by God's grace, when we received Christ the Lord, we were rooted in him it happened in the past and it's continuing to affect us in colossians 2 5 paul says that he rejoices to see the firmness of the colossians faith in christ there's something solid there they're rooted francis Schaeffer said that the individual christian salvation is rooted in two space time historic points the first is the finished work of jesus on the cross of calvary and the second is the point of time when by the grace of god the individual accepted Jesus Christ as savior. So in the deepest sense, we're rooted in Christ. And the Lord wants our roots to grow deep and strong in him. If you remember Psalm one, we studied it just this last summer. It opens, the whole Psalter opens with these words, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So the psalmist starts by saying, there's this blessed man, and he doesn't walk in the different way that the world walks. He delights in God's word. And he meditates on it day and night. See that continual sense of walking? And the Lord makes that kind of man like a tree planted by streams of water. Now ultimately we know only Jesus lived up to being that kind of man. But he wants to make us that kind of man after his image. You I mean, think about it, have you ever tried to pull a weed? It's pretty easy, I can do that. But have you ever tried to pull a tree? I mean like a real tree, not like a, a baby tree. Good luck. Because that thing is rooted. And in Christ, what Paul I think is saying is we should be more like a tree than a weed. You remember those haunting words from Jesus' parable, the soils in Mark four, he says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Are you withering away? Or are you walking with this confidence that you are rooted in Christ and his word? Our roots don't keep the wind from blowing. Our roots hold us down, keep us steady when the wind blows. And the wind is gonna blow. And a lot of us are feeling it even right now. But we keep walking in Christ because we're rooted in him. We also walk in Christ built up in him, Paul says, and established in the faith and built up and established are present participles, which means there's something that's happening in the present, something God is doing right now. We're being built up in Christ, we're being established in the faith. And whether rooted is agricultural or architectural, (laughs) commentators actually argue about that, there's a progression either way, from being rooted to being built up and established. You think about it, the roots of a tree go go deep so that the, the trunk and the branches can grow high and the piers of a foundation go deep so that the building can rise high. We tend to think of being built up as this individual thing. How's God gonna build me up? And that's true. But Paul is almost always thinking corporately. And when we think corporately, this becomes much more beautiful because we're being built up as the church, the people of God. So in Ephesians 2.22, Paul writes, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Being built up for a purpose, so that God might dwell in us and be glorified in us as his temple, which is shocking, that we would somehow be a temple of the Spirit. And a couple chapters later in Ephesians 4.11, Paul's talking about how God gave the church these kinds of leaders and why he did that. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul strings these things together in such an amazing way. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know exactly what it means, but I think it means growing up in an amazing way, becoming mature in Christ and all the glory that comes with that. And so you see, this this isn't about our own personal improvement this is about us together being a temple, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So we've been in, rooted in Christ so that we might be built up in Christ. Don't you wanna be part of that building? God is building his church. And then the word established only adds to the picture of what God is building. In Colossians 1.23, just a few verses before, Paul talks about continuing in the faith and he uses these words stable and steadfast established, stable, stability. As his church, God wants to establish our foundation and make us immovable in him. So you notice the connection between being established in the faith and being taught? He says, established in the faith, just as you were taught. This is very important. It's why he said rooted, connected to walking, It's why he says "establish" is connected to just as you were taught. We never move on from the truth of the gospel that we received at the beginning. And that's one of the things these Colossians are struggling with, and we'll talk more about it in the weeks ahead. But there's a temptation to start with Jesus and say, Jesus is great. Now I'm kind of bored. What do I move on to now? But we never move on from the foundation of Christ. And so we only go deeper into a transforming knowledge of it. So being established in the faith is about continuing to grow up in our understanding and our application of Christian teaching. A simple way to say this is, the gospel is not how we often think, just the ABCs. You know, just give the gospel to the children, it's the ABCs. The gospel is the A to Z of us walking in Christ. We never move on from the gospel. So we're wise to ask ourselves when it comes to being established and growing up just as we were taught. This comes from 2 Peter 3.18 where Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In this season of my life, how am I striving to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And that's not legalism. That's responding to God's grace and saying, I wanna go deeper, Lord. I need to understand how I'm rooted. I wanna be built up. I wanna be established. And remember, the Lord is establishing us now, but there's an even greater day coming. If you look at Revelation 3, 11 through 12, Jesus says this. He says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. Are these places in Revelation, we're like, I'm not even sure what that means, but I know that's amazing and I want that. So in glory, God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. We will be safe forever in his loving presence. He's establishing us now. He will establish us in the future. Think about this. If we know where we're going, it's so much easier to keep walking. You ever been on one of those hikes or something where you don't know where you're going? You know where you're going. it's so much easier to keep walking. So we walk in Christ, rooted in Him, built up Him, built up in Him, established in the faith, knowing where we're going. And finally, we walk in Christ, as Paul says, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the third time Paul's already mentioned giving thanks. Chapter one, verse three, chapter one, verse 12. There's actually three more coming, chapter three, verse 15 and 17, chapter four, verse two. Talking about six times in four chapters, Paul's talking about being thankful or giving thanks. Why is that so important? Well, Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, once said, humans are phenomenally ungrateful. <laughs> and he said, I believe that the best definition of man is the ungrateful biped. <laughs> the ungrateful thing walking on two legs. Why are we ungrateful? Why why does it seem like the more we have, the less grateful we are? One simple answer is the sin of greed. Or you might just say, selfishness. You know, greed is never satisfied. We always want more. Whatever we receive, we think we deserve that. Whatever we don't get, we feel like we're being cheated. When we do get it, it's never enough. So this lack of gratitude reveals an abundance of greed. Paul talks about that in other places. He's agreed as idolatry. And when we focus on ourselves, our lives tend to be full of complaining and entitlement and jealousy. But when we focus on the Lord, how can we be anything but grateful? We see the Lord's the source of our salvation, our inheritance, every blessing in our lives. How can we not overflow with thanksgiving? And this is the root of why Paul can say this strange thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what keeps you from abounding in thanksgiving? What, what is the world missing when Christians are not overflowing with gratitude? It'd be interesting in this cultural moment if the world might look in and see Christians abounding in thanksgiving. (laughs) The great poet George Herbert prayed this. He said, you've given so much to me. Give me one thing more, a grateful heart. Isn't that good? So in conclusion, as we close, I wanna focus on this idea of walking in Christ just a little bit more. And we tend to forget that Jesus actually walked this earth, literally. Walking was Jesus' primary mode of transportation. He walked the dusty roads of Judea, Galilee. He walked that whole way in perfect communion with his Father. He walked the streets of Jerusalem carrying his own cross on his back until he couldn't. And he died on that cross and then three days later, he walked out of the tomb alive. And we believe that one day he'll return and he'll walk among us among his people, again, in a new heaven and a new earth. To walk in Christ is to follow in his footsteps. It's to walk with him. To walk in Christ is to live like he would if he were walking in our shoes, and in a sense he is because he's in us by his spirit. Dallas Willard once wrote this. He said, when Jesus walked among humankind, there was a certain simplicity to being his disciple. Primarily, it meant to go with him in an attitude of study, obedience, and imitation. And then he says, there were no correspondence courses. I just love that line. Couldn't follow Jesus uh, from a distance. In those days, you had to go with him, and people followed him around. Now, it's not the same since Jesus ascended to heaven. It actually feels worse, right? Because you can't walk in here, and I'll walk, follow him out of the church. But you know what? Jesus actually said that it would be better if he went away, which is shocking. By his spirit, filled with his spirit, he thought that that would be better than him being physically present. So by his spirit, there's still a simplicity to being his disciple. It means to go with him. As Willard said, in an attitude of study, obedience and imitation, in a relationship with him. And there are no correspondence courses. Brothers, we have the staggering privilege of walking in and with and through Christ. We should walk more closely with Jesus than we walk with the stock market. We should walk more closely with Jesus than we do with the world of real estate or medicine or law or education or whatever. We should walk more closely with Jesus than we walk with our favorite sports team or our favorite hobby or our favorite place in the world. Because there's no one like Jesus. There's no walk like walking with Jesus. And I don't say any of those things to make you feel guilty. Actually say that hoping that God will awaken you to the life that is really life, to walking in Christ. When you hear that Jesus wants to walk with you, how will you respond? Let's pray and then in a moment we'll go to our our tables (laughs) all around the church. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you might help us to be abounding in thanksgiving because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we would see what we've received, that we would see that we've been rooted, that we are being built up and established. Lord, help us to see the joy of walking with you. Lord, show us where we're walking in a different kind of way. Or for those who don't know Christ, I pray today might even be the day where they receive salvation as a gift by faith. Lord, thank you for these brothers. I pray that you would bless them, bless their discussions, and be with, be with us this week as we seek, seek to walk in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, brothers. Have a wonderful morning.